0: to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals.
1: Hello and welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. This is episode four and today we continue our series on complex licensing vendors and this time we're going to look at IBM licensing. On the call today I have Eric Chu from HW Fisher and Kuan Dingjan from Solacom. So first of all uh, Eric, if I could ask you to introduce yourself, um, what's what's your background with IBM licensing, and what do you do at HW uh, Fisher?
2: Right. Okay. Uh, so I'm the director of uh, Fisher IT Asset Consulting, which is part of um, HW Fisher, a medium-sized accounting firm. So uh, we um, have a team of 25 license auditors here, and we are frequently asked by um, either end-use organizations or in some cases SAM uh, tooling partners to deliver IBM licensing consultancy mm-hmm. services. Um, so so that, that, that that's my sort of current role. Uh, before this, I actually managed uh, a similar audit team at one of the big four uh, accounting firms uh, who happens to be IBM's official auditor. So with an ex-colleague, uh, we, we helped IBM actually launch its compliance program in the UK and Ireland. And I've personally managed over 200 audits on behalf of IBM over a six-year a six period. So, as you can probably see, I'm um, sort of an ex-inside man uh, with very deep knowledge and experience of IBM licensing and audits. So that that's that was my background with IBM.
1: So, so at what point does um, HW uh, Fisher get involved? What's how would you typically engage with the client?
2: Um, it's typically most uh, popular uh, commonly is basically when a, when a client receive a, a letter of audit, um, a notification of audit from IBM um, requesting um, access to data and starting an audit. Uh, that's at the point where uh, a lot of organizations are starting to panic and, and, and realize they don't have a good control of, of their IBM software state uh, and that's where we, we get involved. Um, to help them uh, defend an audit uh, or proactively manage the licensing position.
1: Okay, and are you? Uh, how how do you actually work with IBM? Are you uh, some sort of partner with them, or uh, how does that work? No,
2: we are we are we are completely uh, independent uh, from a HW Fisher's point of view. Um, we have the knowledge and experience working with uh, IBM licensing models, uh, but we are not engaged or partner with IBM in any way. Okay, cool. Thank you, and uh, Kuhn, uh
1: You were one of our first contributors with IBM licensing and you did a very great uh, IBM licensing guide for us on the ITAM review, so thank you very much for that. It's still on the site now and very well read and gets lots of views every month, so thank you for that. Could you also give an introduction and uh, what's your background with IBM and a little bit about what Solocom do?
0: Sure, so my name is uh, Koon Dingyan. So in the past I worked at uh, Deloitte at uh, the office in, in Brussels. Um, Where uh, I performed software license compliance uh, reviews uh, mainly for IBM uh, at uh, middle-sized and large companies throughout Europe. Uh, And back in 2009, I decided to start as a self-employed consultant, um, license compliance consultant specialized in IBM licensing. Um, So I guess a bit uh, similar to Eric, uh, the projects I've uh, done uh, in that period or since 2009 are supporting customers uh, on the one hand during um, uh, IBM license compliance audits um, uh, and also help customers to implement uh, processes to support um, their um, IBM license compliance um, yeah, reporting within their organization.
1: And, and again, as I said to Eric, ha- when would you typically get involved? When do you get pulled in?
0: Um, yeah, so what I usually notice indeed is that most customers will uh, contact me uh, when there's an audit ongoing, either in the early stages or in the late stages. So sometimes when they receive a notification letter, uh, they would contact me, but in some cases only uh, towards the end when there are, there are already ongoing settlement discussions. Um, so uh, uh, many customers will contact me during an audit, uh, but uh, especially the larger customers uh, nowadays... Uh, we'll also reach out even there's, if there's none audit ongoing, but just because they have experiences with other uh, vendors and audits in those areas, and they just want to be prepared for for an IBM audit.
1: If I could ask you uh, just to begin with, um, sort of a broad view of IBM licensing, and perhaps um, what are the major stacks um, or the major technology stacks within IBM and um, what sort of licensing does IBM involve, and um, you know, wh- where where do where do uh, clients typically get tripped up?
2: Um, sure. So um, IBM has um, five portfolio of software um, from uh, information management, um, which uh, includes a lot of databases and content management software, to uh, Lotus, which is mainly email um, messaging, etc. Tivoli uh, which is monitoring of infrastructure and p- applications uh, and and WebSphere which is the middleware and finally the fifth stack is uh, rationale which is uh, what IBM's portfolio of uh, software development tools um, so I think these from a software portfolio point of view these are the five families under IBM and um, each of them are li- can be licensed in many different ways and uh, from from my point of view IBM is probably the the vendor with most uh, different type of licensing metrics uh, in the world um, even worse than uh, SAP and Oracle in, in, in many ways so um, for example e- um, for just to give you an idea for user type of licenses I can easily name up to 20 and, and Quinn can probably confirm that So, um, but the, the way I look at like, IBM licensing models there are primary five ways. Um, one is based on um, capacity of hardware That is traditionally server based licensing moving, uh, migrated to CPU processor based licensing then to what IBM call processor value unit PVU, etc. So that's one main category. The second category is uh, what IBM call user based licensing, so you have the traditional uh, easy to understand authorised user licenses, but then you can have uh, concurrent user licenses, role based user licenses, i.e. different roles of users give you access to different type of modules similar to um, SAP um, if, if you have experience with SAP before um, and, and, and it can also um, um, it can also be uh, something called um, user value unit licenses where IBM applies different discount values to uh, different uh, amount of users so, so these, this is the second type and, and, and the third type is actually um, uh, what I can see um, is on the uh, um, storage capacity metrics so that's typically um, applicable for uh, Tivoli products, um, Tivoli Storage Manager in particular, or um, um, Tivoli Productivity Center for backup. So these are measured on the uh, a certain amount of capacity that's used for backup solutions. So I think these are the three main, uh, most popular type or groups of licensing metrics IBM in, uh, employs. Obviously, uh, because IBM has been buying a lot of different companies over the years, there are um, bespoke metrics as well, uh, like uh, metrics license on distance uh, between data centers and all that. But, but those I would tend to put them in the fourth category, uh, i.e., all others. So, so that, that that that's my understanding of of um, IBM licensing metrics. Um, Kuhn, do you want to contribute anything else on
0: that? Um, yeah, So I think yeah, you already gave a, a very good overview. So I don't really have anything to add to that. So maybe. Um, I think uh, a lot of people who work in the area of license management may may already have experience for example with Microsoft or Adobe or some Oracle um, so I think what a challenge is uh, for them often is that IBM has a lot of server-based products of course also some uh, uh, PC-based products but um, um, uh, many products are installed on servers uh, are high-value and therefore it's often challenging to get an overview of uh, what's installed where and then uh, as you mentioned uh, calculate the number of PVUs. Um, so I think that's part of the complexity, and the other part is um, that IBM continues to acquire companies all the time. Um, so I think Eric also mentioned this, but that that causes uh, new metrics to be introduced, uh, new products to be within scope uh, of the IBM portfolio. So that's something that that's, um, IBM compliance managers within uh, organizations have to deal with on a day-to-day basis
1: okay so thank you so um, you you both say that you've worked um, with audits and uh, audit activity around IBM so if you were if you get parachuted in um, to help with an audit what's the sort of top three risk areas when when looking at IBM what are the, what are the three obvious ones that you look at first to, to see where the risk might be
2: Um I think Poon's probably going to be uh, uh, going to agree with me on this, but uh, I think the top one uh, will be, without question, subcapacity, um, and, and we can probably talk about this more uh, later on in the conversation, but this is around virtualizing, uh, virtualization of, of PVU licensing and, and what should be licensed or what should not be. And a lot of customers uh, will fail in this category because they thought they can be licensing uh, uh, they can be just buying licenses on the virtual level. While uh, because of the nature of their operation they need to pay for the full capacity of a physical cluster so that that's the biggest um, risk um, in pretty much every single IBM audit as long as there is products involved uh, in PVU licensing and there is virtualization involved so that that's the top category the second uh, risk area I, I think in my experience is around different user types and typically with products like Cognos and maximal where um, by default, a user it can be set up to have access to all the modules, but then you will have, similar to SAP, you have different type of user licenses allowing, specifying different number of modules that they can access to. So without careful planning and, 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 and set up process of users, customer can always get in trouble um, and that, that's the second type. I guess that the third type is uh, from, from my experience is uh, around Lotus CEO agreements so that's basically it's it, it's a bit like Microsoft EA uh, but it's it's for Lotus uh, email clients so most customers under uh, some, a lot of customers license on Lotus CEO they will thought they would just need to license by the number of users using their email clients but uh, without knowing actually if they are, are under a CEO agreement they need to license on every single PC uh, in, in theory and uh, not not just the uh, the PCs that has um Lotus client installed on. So I think from from my experience those are the top three, but I I guess Kun probably have some, some some something else to add as well.
0: Um yes I, I certainly concur with your number one uh subcapacity licensing. Uh the requirement in most cases to install ILMT or TAT4D or an equivalent product. That's where customers um Gets the uh, highest compliance risk, and that's what often also where there's disputes with IBM at the end uh, of an audit. Uh, so that's certainly the number one risk. And, and the other risks are often um, kind of product specific. So Eric already mentioned uh, Cognos. Um, I think Informix Concurrent Sessions is also a high risk uh, product, uh, and any product basically where. You're free to install it on any machine without a central overview. so many um, yeah, uh, uh, information management related products such as Db2 or WebSphere are consider high risks. Um, but so in general, uh, like overall risks I would uh, number one would need to be subcapacity licensing and I think other things that customers struggle with are um, knowing what software is installed on which machine and uh, understanding the hardware details and having the accurate sources to calculate those numbers. Uh, so whenever a customer ha- doesn't have a decent uh, kind of overview or inventory, uh, and then an the audit comes in and actually uh, performs a, uh, creates an inventory at that moment, uh, that's also where I see large discrepancies because the customer didn't expect to see all those installations they hadn't uh, measured before.
1: Okay, perfect. And and um, we all know that um, if you look at the top ten software vendors, that they that the um, guidance around software licensing and, and practices and, and rules and how they communicate those rules varies wildly. How does IBM rate? Do they provide good resources online and and clear uh, rules around licensing? What, what's that like compared to other vendors?
2: I think um, in, in my experience, I pretty much work with uh, most of the top 10 vendors uh, acting uh, as their auditors before. So I think IBM is actually the best in terms of sharing licensing terms and uh, conditions and, and requirements um, freely and uh, make it available, easily accessible online. So there's actually a website, I, I don't have the URL uh, to, on top of my head at the moment, but if anyone just go in Google and, and search IBM software licensing agreements, it actually takes you to a, to a website, IBM website, where you can search for every single piece, uh, the, the terms and conditions for every single piece of IBM software. So uh, I think that's very useful, and, and, and in my knowledge, I don't know uh, any other vendors that that's providing this level of detail online freely available to anyone.
1: Okay, I'm sure we can dig out that link and add it to the show notes.
2: Uh, Corinne,
1: anything to add to that?
0: Um, yeah, so I agree that uh, IBM. There's a lot of information to find on their website regarding the terms and conditions, announcement letters. Uh, I find customers don't always aren't always able to find what they need, but in the end, it is on there somewhere. Uh, However, I think compared to other vendors, where IBM doesn't may not provide as much information is regarding how to measure their products or what procedures you can follow to determine the um, uh, the compliance position. Um, I think that that has to do with that most of the audits are not actually performed by IBM themselves, but by the um, the external auditors. Um, So, if you compare, for example, where Oracle has those um, uh, have has auditors in house. Microsoft also offers, uh, uh, yeah, kind of information on how to set up your SAM program. Uh, I haven't seen as much um, initiative in that area uh, from IBM in the past. Although I think they're trying to build it up now to provide SAM advice to to customers. Uh, but I think what customers often struggle with with IBM is understanding how to measure the deployment quantity for uh, for the products in their scope.
2: Yep, and and, and, I, and I second that completely. Um, I think um, what the uh, the licensing database or, or, or the the knowledge base shares, uh, which is freely available online, uh, by IBM, does tell you is that uh, what licensing metrics a specific product is unlicensed under. So let me let me give you an example. Let's say Informix Database Growth Edition. It will tell you um, this product is licensed on a concurrent session basis. And, and, and you cannot use more than four, P, uh, four CPUs or, or, or something like that um, uh, within its, its term, terms and conditions published online. But with what it doesn't tell you is how can you measure these concurrent sessions? How can, what commands do you need to run against the InfoMix databases ma- uh, to generate these session counts? And which numbers are relevant for licensing and which are not? So these come step-by-step guide of, of, of identifying your licensing uh, position it's not available on IBM's website, and this is a huge problem. It's because apart from the uh, the products license on PVU uh, or RVU basis, which can be captured by RLMT, um, everything else, um, it's it, um, uh, um, every product license on some other metrics within IBM products. They normally do not have a, a, a automatic way of generating that. So, for, uh, another example um, is for for Tivoli uh, Tivoli storage uh, products licensed on capacity basis. There isn't a, a, a easy view to say this is the capacity we're using here, and hence these are the terabytes we need license for. You actually need to go to IBM website, know where to look for, and download a particular script in the similar nature as the Oracle LMS scripts, and then query it against the, the product, and then generate a certain output, and then read the output and determine your your terabyte license position. So as you can probably feel now, a lot of these kind of uh, measuring deployment levels is done manually. Um, using specialized knowledge which is not published by IBM and it's uh, and, and a lot of these actually developed by the IBM auditors over the years of of engagement so even when, when IBM is designing the products in the first place it didn't think of how can the customers measure the usage level of our product according to licensing terms and conditions so that that that's, that's I think that was uh, that's one of the biggest challenges for a for, for, um, license management point of view on IBM products
1: Yeah, I, I um... We did a campaign clear licensing meeting last week, and uh, it was regarding Microsoft uh, and a a customer asked a very similar thing about Microsoft. They were saying that uh, they went to Microsoft to say, tell me what data you want to support the agreement and Microsoft couldn't tell them. They'd much rather give the the customer a tool that collects absolutely everything and then determine what happens after that, rather than giving them specifics. I think that's so IBM are not alone in that, it's quite vague isn't it?
2: Yes, in, right. the, in terms of what data they they need to gather and how to gather those data.
0: Yeah, so my advice would often be to customers who have been through an audit is actually to capture as much as they can the procedures that were performed during the audit, so that they can learn from it and then um, yeah be better prepared the next time uh, as they will then have some scripts or procedures or uh, information collection templates, which they can use to measure the the IBM products in their environment.
1: So, talking of um, tools and scripts, um, like like other large vendors, IBM has some in-house tools. Um, it also has some commercial tools that it sells, and obviously other technology is available to manage IBM as well. What's your view on the tooling available to to help customers with um, picking up data for IBM?
2: Um, I, I guess the most obvious one is, is ILMT slash TEM4D. So, um, from a s- simplistic point of view, ILMT is a, a, a shrink down version of temp 4 d that only does um, IBM products discovery and, and PPU measurement. So, um, I think um, if we look at tooling capability, uh, I, I want to make this distinction between discovery capabilities and, and license management capability. So if we look at it from a discovery point of view, I don't think there's any other products on the market at the moment that's actually better than ILMT um, to look, to so find just, so where IBM product is. Imported. Eric, sorry, that, that, that's my experience.
1: Sorry to interrupt, but what, just for those of you not familiar, what is ILMT? How do you get hold of it? What what is it?
2: Sure. So I, I think it stands for I, IBM License Metric Tool, and it's available for every cust uh, to every customer who has a Passport Advantage Agreement, uh, free. Uh, so it can be downloaded um, by everyone with a with a PA agreement with IBM uh, from IBM.
1: Okay, cool. And and what's the TAD four D that you met, you mentioned? What what's the relationship um, between those two?
2: Sure. So TAD four D is uh, called Tivoli um, Asset Discovery for Distributed Environment, I believe. Um, so it's it's a, 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 a IBM version of um, discovery tool. That provides uh, it's designed in a similar um, infrastructure, um, sorry, architecture, uh, in ILMT, but it provides wider discovery capabilities. So I think the main difference is that the ILMT software recognition library contains only IBM signatures, so you can only find IBM software. Well, if d contains a lot, uh, a, a, a much bigger. Uh, Library that contains other software titles from other publishers. So for customers using Terp4D, they can use this piece of software to discover other software, not just software from IBM.
1: You could draw the comparison to say that ILMT is a bit like Microsoft's Map versus Secm, for example, perhaps. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. And and what's your view? And are they any good? What What's your version of? You, know, you said that ILMT is arguably the one of the best things to do to manage. I it. think
2: to to find out what IBM software is installed. Uh, I think well in the Windows world, I think because of the distributive nature of you know every move programs pretty much every discovery tool can discover whatever is installed on Windows platform. However, in the Unix Linux uh, environment, if you want to find IBM software. ILMT is pro- it's definitely your best bet. Other tools like, um, you know, uh, DDNI from from HP or BMC solutions or even Front Range, they can they can find part of a, a IBM file description of part of a, a package, but they won't be able to tell you what exactly that is. So because they don't have the product signature library, which is only available um, from IBM. Uh, so um, so I think from a discovery point of view, ILMT is your best option, and and it's free. So so why don't you want to use it?
1: And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I've heard that um, don't you have to have ILMT installed contractually to be monitoring things?
2: Uh, no, you don't. Um, and I think this is actually linked back to subcapacity again. So uh, what subcapacity means is probably worse to just explain a little bit here. Is It's that uh, if you are eligible for subcapacity licensing, you can pay for only the processing power allocated to a virtual server rather than the capability of a physical host or cluster that's underneath the virtual server. So in a, in a case where a, a two virtual CPU VM is sitting on a 16 um, processor cluster farm, if you are under subcapacity terms and conditions, you can just pay for the PVUs for the two virtual CPUs rather than the 16 physical processors. Um, however, to, to for, 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 for an organization to be eligible uh, for subcapacity terms and conditions, they need to to install RMT um, as as a prerequisite, and also they need to be generating reports from RMT and sign off, uh, certifying the accuracy of the RMT reports on a quarterly basis at minimum. So if they are satisfied, satisfactory with these conditions, then IBM will allow them to basically pay for the virtual capacity rather than the underlying physical capacity, which is easily you know at five times, ten times more expensive. Yeah, because
1: they have the customer and IBM has the audit trail to justify that they didn't exceed exactly the processing power Yeah.
2: So, so that IBM know that you, you didn't just, you know, switched off most of your virtual process the day before the audit yeah. to avoid uh, audit penalties so they can they can see the trial uh, um, I think a lot of people complain about the complexity of these um for IBM but but if you look at Oracle um, it doesn't even allow um, subcapacity sub-capacity like July wise uh, this is what Oracle call um, soft partitioning I believe and it's just simply not allowed so if you use VMware UXX for example and if you have a um, Oracle database in one of the VMs with you know um, vMotion enabled you need you simply need to license the whole host rather than the virtual capacity yeah so I think it's, it's a benefit for the customer but in order to enjoy the benefit they do need to invest in you know properly deploying RMT and, and set it up correctly
1: and, and in an audit scenario if that isn't in place and they virtualized uh, incorrectly what is that worst-case scenario time uh, financially
2: um, yes it can be and um and and i actually got a war story here it's with a with a media company um I, in my previous life as an auditor um so so they what what the situation there was that the company has four virtual machines um deployed uh, uh, be, uh, deployed with uh Westfield MQ mq products one of the ibm middleware products i think the uh, the original financial obligation for that type of deployment is is under 50,000 pounds but then because the client doesn't install ILMT on these virtual boxes, and then they move it to Amazon Cloud, so contractually I think they were exposed to over 200 million pounds of financial liability, so that's 5,000 times more than they originally thought they will be. So Obviously, IBM didn't go for the whole 200 million, but that gave them a huge bargaining power in the settlement table to say, look, contractually this is what you need to pay for us. So that's just an extreme example of what, ha- what could happen if you don't install LMT in according to subcapacity capacity terms and conditions, and just assume you only um, need to pay for the, for the virtual capacity.
1: Cool, okay, and Kuin, um, any, any um, thoughts to add around technology and uh, uh, IBM tooling?
0: Um, yeah, so basically regarding LMT and, and uh, Tad4G, I mean, some customers are, are very happy with uh, using these tools. Uh, other customers are actually are using other tools to to kind of discover IBM software uh, but the important point is that um, if you have virtual servers uh, or logical partitions with IBM software running on it you should almost in all cases install ILMT uh, or TAD4D um, because that will limit your compliance risk uh, regarding subcapacity licensing um, so I've had customers that, ha- that are struggling to install it, some customers uh, have it easy uh, but I think in, in any case, the business case is clear, crystal clear uh, that you should uh, uh, have deployed this tool because otherwise you'll probably uh, face uh, uh, yeah, a lot of problems during an audit. Cool.
1: Okay. So um, talking of audits, um, what what are IBM like and, and what's the typical process? So it begins with a formal letter, I assume.
0: Sure, so um, uh, usually a customer will first receive a a letter from IBM announcing uh, the audit as well as uh, the scope and the basis of the audits and they will include the name of the external auditor that will uh, perform the audits. So a few weeks after receipt of this uh, audit letter, uh, the external auditor will contact uh, the customer uh, in order to set up a kickoff meeting so what I'm describing now is kind of the, the, the regular or kind of full audit Um, So during this kickoff meeting, um, uh, it's usually a three-way meeting with the external auditor, the customer, and IBM uh, where kind of um, uh, the background is discussed and the intended approach. Uh, Sometimes this is also combined with a scoping meeting. Uh, Sometimes the scoping meeting is separate. Uh, During a scoping meeting, um, they'll discuss uh, how to approach the audits, um, uh, what sites are in scope, what products are in scope. Um, what timelines can be agreed uh, so i'd always recommend customers to really uh focus uh and, and bring uh yeah their own inputs uh, on what their preferred timeline is what is for example a busy season where they cannot really uh allocate resources to the audits and when uh, what periods would work better um, so that's the uh the, the kickoff scoping uh parts uh then the next step is usually that the external auditor will request uh, information from the customer uh... can be through a combination of uh, templates or scripts or emails where they kind of uh... want to get an initial overview of uh... the deployment position of um, all the ibm products in scope as well as some uh... general overview such as uh, the server uh, lists and the, the, uh... the data centers in scope um, so there will be a data collection uh... usually done uh, remotely uh, and after that uh... That the auditor has received initial batch of information, they often uh, agree to perform a certain on-site tests or testing days. Uh, So then the auditor will have meetings on-site with different people at the customer organization, uh, with whom they want to perform tests, such as um, administrators of IBM products or administrators of of the server environments. And the main focus of uh, those tests are are to verify completeness and accuracy, so they want to make sure that the information that they received uh, prior to the on-site tests uh, is both uh, complete and um, accurate. Um, Of course, they cannot always uh, aim for 100% accuracy, um, but they try to get a a reasonable level, level of confidence that they have actually covered all IBM products. Um, So following these on-site testing, there might be some additional uh, information exchanges, uh, uh, additional questions uh, asked by the external auditor. Uh, And once the uh, external auditor is satisfied that they have the information they need, uh, they'll create a draft report. Um, And this draft report is then sent to uh, the uh, customer for their review uh, and for the customer to to provide any comments uh, on the report. Uh, and once this uh, yeah the customer has provided all the uh, comments they want, uh, the external auditor will then submit the reports, the final report to IBM. And then uh, the final stage is that there will usually be a settlement discussion if there is a license shortfall uh, between IBM and the customer. Uh, so it's important to note that uh, normally uh, IBM is not involved uh, w- uh, in the audits between the phases of the kickoff meeting and uh, the final reports. So, uh, IBM will only normally receive status updates on how the audit is going, but they will not uh, receive the information collected during the audit or actually know what's going on uh, until the end of, uh, of the audit, uh, as all the kind of audit activities will be between the external auditor a- and the customer. So that's uh, kind of a brief uh, description of the complete uh, process. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, uh, Eric?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think um, there. Are co- I think you you have pretty much covered um, um, everything. But I just want to highlight a, a number of points that that Quinn has already mentioned. So, so one is is when the auditors are actually requesting for customer for information, that is actually asking the client to tell the auditor what your view of your deployment of IBM is. So um, it's an opportunity for you to demonstrate that you know where your software is. So, so this is where it's starting to make a difference for 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 organisations with a good STEM program, or, um, because if they do, then they will be in a uh, in a position to confident, confidently. Uh, tell the auditor uh, where's my IBM software deployment this is the the usage, this is the PVUs, this is the user values and and, and then basically uh, when the auditor is doing the validation testing on site uh, they will cause a lot less trouble because they won't find a lot of discrepancies so they, they will stick with a relatively small sample rather than if your data is all over the place and you're contradicting yourself t- between different data sources, then the auditors will continue to expand their sample sizes to an extreme that they won't, probably want to scan every single box. So, so, so that's why uh, where a, a, whether you have an effective software management program make a difference in an IBM software license audit. So that's one point and there's a second point here is actually uh, on a factual ac- accuracy confirmation point so this is where the auditors has created a draft report um, and, and it's ready to send to IBM uh, for, for, for negotiation and settlement but before they do that they always ask the customer to go through the report um, the, the compliance report on a factual basis and ask for agreement first so what I've seen many times in the past is because the auditors report it's, it's normally very detailed especially for large organizations can be, you know, fifty pages, sixty pages with lines and lines of servers and PVUs and users and concurrent sessions. So not every organization will have the patience, the resource and, and skill set to interpret those reports. And sometimes I've seen many it uh, happens many times actually, the organization just say, Okay, it looks all right, it looks factual. Um, and, and that actually gives them a very bad uh, position when they're under the uh, when they are on the negotiation table, because IBM would say actually those uh, minus ten of licensing shortfall is something you have already agreed on a, on an email to say that you agree on the factory accuracy basis, without actually validating it. So then it, it, it's it's massively reduced uh, the, the bargaining power on on end user side. So that that's that's a p uh, that so that that factual agreement, the factual accuracy agreement part, I think is, is someone that, from an end user point of view, needs to pay extra attention to. Don't agree to any factual um, accuracy of of the report from the auditor unless you're 100% confident that you understand the report accurately.
1: So um, you mentioned completeness and accuracy. So my understanding is of of those two concepts is completeness is um, if I've got IBM on a thousand machines. Uh, a thousand servers. I need to be confident that it's a thousand and not accidentally fifteen hundred. So I've got a complete picture of my estate, and then the accuracy is the, you know, whether it's definitely installed and the validity of that data on those fifteen hundred servers or a thousand servers, whatever it is. Is that the right understanding? And how do you go about doing that with IBM? Is it like other tool uh, technologies where you might bounce it off of inventory and AD and stuff to validate the data? How do you go about? providing trustworthy IBM data?
2: I think um, because of the nature of IBM software, so most of them are in, uh, middleware or database software in, in data uh, in data center and non-Windows environment. So that they don't normally use AD. Um, so, uh, what they do is they they will look at your entire server inventory uh, from CMDB or from your asset registry, even accounting books, to find out, let's say you have 2,000 servers altogether, you have told us IBM is on 1,000, so they will then sample, uh, select a sample of the remaining 1,000, which you haven't declared any IBM software, and then perform negative testing by running uh, the auditor scripts. So these are uh, basically operating commands patched together to be a script. So they, they were basically asking for uh, credentials to log on to a sam- the selected sample servers and then, and then basically scan those servers to see whether there's any IBM software installed on those servers. So that, that's from a completeness point of view, and, and from an accuracy point of view, similar techniques, running scripts, um, auditors own developed scripts, uh, to validate primarily uh, whether the CPU count um, is, is is the same as what you reported. So that 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 includes you know CPU model um, to the detail of, of exact model like Xeon X3750 and then the number of calls, number of processes, uh, physical processes and, and number whether it's hyper-threaty or not. So it's to, to even that level of detail needs to be correct and that's what they will perform to test and find out.
0: Kuhn, anything to add there? Yeah, so I guess this kind of uh, links back to what we mentioned uh, previously that there's not kind of a predefined process to measure each IBM product. So I would say that uh, each IBM audit is often very customized uh, towards each customer um, based on the existing information sources, um, based on the the conf- level of confidence that the author has in the information sources of the customer, so uh, uh, an author will often try to assess. Okay, I- if this information source always seems to provide um, accurate data, and we can test a few uh, servers, uh, then they need to perform less testing. But if uh, uh, a customer is lacking uh, tools or does not have a good overview, that means that the auditor will often suggest to do more, much more manual testing, or, or request scripts to be run. Um, so this is something that um, you know that, that's often ongoing discussion between the customer and the auditor. So that's also something that to discuss during the the sync phase um, uh, to kind of uh, also help the auditor uh, point towards the, the correct information sources and the most reliable way uh, to create uh, yeah, software overviews or deployment overviews. So that the auditor doesn't have to spend as much time to perform completeness and and accuracy tests because they can, uh, yeah, uh, get a level of uh, or start to rely on the information sources uh, provided by the customer.
1: And is there um, do do IBM have a particular methodology or a process for generating uh, any penalties around audits? What What's the typical uh, process?
2: Um, um, I think by the, the book t- is uh, list price plus two years, up to two years of back maintenance unless you can prove evidence to say where the over-deployment occurs um, if it's within two years.
0: Yeah, that's correct. I just want to mention that. So a few years ago it was already uh, always kind of the standard practice uh, of IBM to charge up to two years of back maintenance uh, but since 2011 I think they have uh, explicitly included uh, in the passport advantage terms and conditions uh, so when we say up to two, two years back maintenance, it means is, if you can actually prove that your non-compliance has taken less than two years, uh, then you can argue with IBM that the, the back maintenance charge should also be less than t- two years. Uh, of course, often that's very hard to prove, uh, although if you have ILM TB ports, in some case, uh, it might be possible.
1: So we've covered um, the, the audit and the uh, almost the technological or the configuration side of things with IBM. Could we look at now the the licensing or the procurement records? What are IBM records like, and are they easily accessible? And 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 how? What's your experience during audit activity with IBM license records?
2: I, I think in general, IBM licensing records are, are relatively easy to access uh, because IBM's contract uh, most IBM contracts are called Passport Advantage, so. Um, Customers on the passport advantage agreement, they will be given access to IBM's websites where actually all of their transaction records, um, either base licensing purchases or annual maintenance transaction records will be available online uh, and can be downloaded from a central point of location. And, and that's, I think that's the good thing. And that's um, applicable for, I would say, for a typical customer, 80% of the licenses they have ever acquired from IBM. Um, unfortunately, because IBM keep buying other software companies as well, so uh, products like Cockroach and Maximo, they they are all kind of acquired um, within the past five ten years. So some of these contracts might be legacy contracts um, agreed with the customer before they are acquired by IBM. So some of these legacy contracts might not be available uh, on the Passport Advantage side. So it is in, in that case, it is. Um, basically, the customer's own responsibility to look after their, their pay, pay, the paperworks and, and any legacy contracts for for those uh, for those software. Um, and and I guess the the other possible complexity on the sort of the contract side is what IBM call the SO agreement. It's it's a bit like um, uh, an enterprise agreement in other uh, vendors' uh, terms, where the customer can pay, pay uh, can prepay a pot of money uh, within uh, typically over a period of time, let's say two years or three years and then they can use that pot of money to draw any licensing that they want from IBM from a agreed catalogue. So that is sometimes increase the complexity. So I, I guess from a customer point of view they, they do need to have someone in house to really understand what the enterprise agreement is and what they have signed up to and what actually entitle them to use because it's not a, a easy case where it describes, you know, this software application, this title, this quantity under under enterprise agreement.
1: Okay, so we've we've covered um, uh, the sort of compliance and the audit side of things, but can you think of opportunities whereby uh, companies can actually save money proactively with IBM? What what would you recommend on that front?
2: Um, I think even just from the contract and and license entitlement management point of view, uh, as Kun mentioned, actually most of the companies when they when they are asked the question, uh, "How many IBM licenses do I have?" The, the contract managers, will, what, what they will do is they will look at last year's renewal quotes and find out what products has been renewed and then assume that's the licenses they have. But in reality, in, in most large organizations, especially organizations with different sites and subsidiaries and different subcontracts, uh, by doing so, they might be missing a lot of base licenses that's not being renewed. So by going through an active, complete license discovery or, or entitlement discovery as, as how we call it, uh, customer can sometimes find valuable uh, licenses that's not, you know, actively renewed, and then can use that to offset uh, partially, at least, some of the financial penalties that they may be facing uh, by the end of the audit. So, so, so that's that's uh, that's. I think that's one way of saving money. The other way of saving money, obviously, it's pretty much applicable for most of the data center uh, software vendors, is that if they have a they're very confident in the software as a management program. They know exactly how uh, many spare capacity, how much spare capacity they have with IBM software. And they are confident that they, they don't plan to use those spare capacity in the near future. They can choose to switch off maintenance, which is easily 22% of the base licensing fee. So by switching off a maintenance, they can save money from there as well.
1: Perfect, thank you. And Kuan, any examples there? What would you recommend for clients looking to do uh license optimization around IBM?
0: Uh, I think one opportunity could be for large organizations that have many uh, agreements or, or sites of uh, password advantage sites within their company um, so what uh, IBM usually offers is a is a standard discount an RSVP level uh, based on your uh, the volume of licenses and uh, entitlements you purchase from IBM but if you have separate sites within your organization they might actually have a lower discount level than your central um, uh sites or central agreements uh, so I think it's always good to, to see if uh, an organization can try to consolidate all those sites so that uh, at all in all parts of the organization they benefit from the highest uh, discount level when purchasing entitlements
1: are IBM typically open to that
0: um yeah so uh, often the challenge is that IBM doesn't always know what sites belong to your organization but they are open to consolidation indeed. Okay, cool. uh, and it's, it's basically uh, also a question of, uh, or a matter of purchasing the licenses through your largest uh, site or agreements, uh, and then you will uh, benefit from the uh, l- l- highest discount. So IBM is open to that indeed.
2: Yeah, because typically IBM wouldn't know what's the relationship between a parent company and, and the subsidiary and, the, and basically the contracts associated with each. So if the the end user takes the uh, proactive action to demonstrate IBM to say all these 20 contracts, 20 agreements, 20 sites that we have with you, is uh, it's, they, they're all ours, and and let's do a, a consolidation. As long as they take the action with IBM, I think IBM is quite open to to do to do a consolidation of, of contracts.
1: Okay, and uh, Eric, you we wanted to mention a uh, a case study that you'd worked on.
2: Um... Oh yes, and I think. Um, th- th- this is actually another way you can save money from from IBM is um, a lot of people um, w- uh, I, I guess um, especially um, from a procurement point of view uh, they want from uh, because they want to minimize the risk they always buy for uh, you know a, a more conf- complex or advanced type of licenses just in case uh, they, 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 they require to, to use that level uh, to, to do, um, in, in, in the future but what that means is most companies uh, in many cases they have been buying uh, more expensive type of licenses than the actual use, usage level and I have an example here is around a product called um, ITCAM or IBM Tivoli Composite Application Manager so um, it, this is a bank, a, a major European bank and uh, they have deployed this piece of software across 12,000 uh, ther- uh, 12, servers so what, what the, the, what the, 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 the ITCAM does is it monitors the performance of on different levels, on the hardware levels, on, on application levels, on operating system levels, uh, and, and database levels, um, and be- depends on what exactly is being monitored per server. Um, it requires different type of licenses, and, and this company just assumed that they need um, the, the most expensive type of licenses, which allows them to monitor everything um, for across the 12,000 thir- uh, 12, servers. Um, so, so they bought all those licenses. But in by by the end of that consolidation exercise that we we, we performed for them, we realized actually three thousand or, or actually what a quarter of those servers are eligible or can uh, can be covered by a lot cheaper licenses, either a Tivoli, um, Tivoli monitoring licenses or a cheaper type of i t licenses, which costs um you know um, anywhere between a, a fifth uh, or, 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 or or to a third of of what the most expensive type of licenses would would have cost them so we have done this consolidation for them. And um, they decided to, to basically trade these licenses, the more expensive type of licenses up with IBM to the, the cheaper, the more relevant license, ty- license types um, to their estate and, the, uh, and, and then we'll be renewing that um, on an ongoing basis. So by the end of that exercise of trading up more expensive licenses, ty- license types to a cheaper one for a partial of their estate, they actually made a saving of 8 million euros So that's just an example of um, potentially if you understand your usage well and your license requirement well, you don't always need to buy um, the most expensive type of licenses, and you can potentially save money uh, from doing that as well. Cool, thank you. So
1: um, just so we can wrap things up and uh, offer some quick pointers for ITAM review readers, could you perhaps just give a couple of tips each on um, advice for managing IBM. What were your key recommendations? What are the priorities?
0: Kun, do you want to start? Sure. So I think uh, my uh, uh, I think to to start up uh, your uh, license compliance program for IBM within your organization, I would start with um, getting a, a solid license entitlements overview. So you usually start with Passport Advantage information, but you can add on to your internal information or or legacy uh, uh, in, uh, yeah, data sources within your information. So uh, getting the license entitlements uh, list uh, uh, accurate first—that would be the first priority. Uh, then, uh, I think it's uh, important to focus on subcapacity licensing. Make sure you understand the terms and conditions and how it impacts uh, uh, your organization. Uh, and uh, yeah, as a third step, based on your license entitlements uh, list, um, uh, try to develop um, uh, procedures to determine the deployment position of each of the products. Uh, uh in your scope uh and you can uh, yeah you either base that on expertise within your organization or, or uh, uh external help or uh, experience during an IBM audit uh and uh yeah make sure to um essentially uh, uh collect all these procedures so that you actually also learn from um, yeah uh, the experiences you have with IBM licensing because often what i see within organizations is that uh, certain knowledge is built up but it's also lost again so i think it's very important to have a yeah, central uh, person responsible for actually building up knowledge on ibm licensing
1: eric anything else rod yeah um
2: yeah i i think um i kind of agree on the, the the very important point of of start with contracts discovery because what i've seen many times when when people are talking about managing licensing uh, for ibm or for any other vendor there is a tendency of rushing into discovery tools and 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 trying to find out what's installed uh, that may work with you know certain desktop type of applications vendors but it definitely will not work with IBM to find out what you have the best place to start is actually as Kun suggested look at the contracts look at all the contracts at uh, different sites you have and then basically build up an entitlement position to understand what you have bought and then start to find out uh, as a second step what metrics have you been signing up to and then what data sources you need to acquire in order to work out those metrics or licensing models. So that's how you start um, and, and managing licensing um, for for a data center uh, vendor like IBM. Um, so so that's very important. Always start with a contract and, and understanding the metrics and, and the data requirement to support those metrics, because finding out where things are installed is just a tiny piece of parcel uh, in the IBM world. So so I think that, that's that's the first piece of um, um, kind of takeaways I want I want to highlight. Uh, the, the second piece is actually, um, I, I guess for, for anyone that, that's listening to this podcast, they, they must be an IBM user and there's a 90% chance they have uh, PVU software in their environment and and often virtualized. So for my second piece of takeaway is if you still haven't downloaded ILMT and installed it, go ahead and install it because uh, otherwise you are very likely to be in trouble. So one thing to note though, uh, ILMT is free. Uh, but it um from a from a licensing point of view but it 's not free in terms of the investment of getting it up and running and, and reporting accurately so there is a, a investment that um the organizations need to make uh, um, um, in order for ILMT to be reporting accurately and so that they can enjoy the sub capacity licensing discounts so uh, getting ILMT reporting uh, up and running and reporting accurately that 's the uh, second piece of takeaway i would say and and I guess my my last point is um, don't view IBM as a as a trouble or an issue from a overall software asset management point of view, because the way I look at it and, and always advocate it uh, with my, um, my my same client is actually see IBM as an opportunity, because if you learn how to manage IBM software licenses because of its complex nature and the width of licensing metrics, if you have a infrastructure. That's your data. That's your tools. That's your processes. It's capable of supporting IBM license management. If that's the case, that same infrastructure will allow you to support any other vendors in the, on 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 the planet. So I think IBM is an opportunity and um, and, if, and 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 for 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 any organization um, to to start taking control of their software assets.
1: Absolutely, I absolutely agree. I've heard the same of Microsoft as well because Microsoft touches servers and desktops and virtual and um, mobile and uh, if you crack Microsoft, um, you'll touch so many areas of the business that you can pr- practically do most other vendors as well. So I, I guess IBM is exactly the same. Yep. So perfect. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, hopefully the uh, listeners will, will have found that useful and a quick introduction to IBM licensing. If you have any further questions around IBM licensing, you can either post them on our LinkedIn group or drop us a line on the ITAM review website, www.itassetmanagement.net. Um for, for anyone on the call that wants to learn more, um, how can we get hold of you, gentlemen? Are you available online somewhere? Cohen, first? Yep,
0: sure. Yeah, certainly. So uh, I can be reached um, on uh, kdingyan uh, at solarcom uh, uh, consulting.com or also uh, at the website www.solarcom consulting.com. Uh, so that would be uh, and also on linkedin uh, people can find me uh, kun dingyan uh, and connect if they have uh, any questions
1: perfect thank you and eric
2: yep um i think uh, the easiest way to to get my contact details is, is on our website which is um slash fiac which is f i a c for fiat it asset consulting
1: okay perfect thank you um So just to wrap things up, I'd like to give a quick plug for a ITAM review event coming up in November. Uh, We're actually having a tools day on the 18th of November in London. uh, And we have six different tool manufacturers all coming into one space in London. So if you're in the market for SAM tool technology or you're considering moving or investing in SAM tool technology, it's an ideal day to come and see the very best uh, that's available all in one space and connect with the vendors directly. It's a completely free event and we have Espera, Brainware or also known for Spider, uh, Sotero, Concord, Flexera and Snow all in the same room. So um, it's looking like a very good day uh, if you're into looking at SAM technology. So have a look at itanreviewevents.com. That's itanreviewevents.com and you can learn more and register there. Uh, until next time, thank you very much for your time and uh, thank you for listening.